Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Today we're going to look at love and the role it plays in encouragement. We're going to look at the role that love plays in encouragement. Now, um, some of these messages, not all of them, but some of them, um, I've got some feedback from some people, you know, that they're saying, man, they're really good and challenging, but they're really convicting. And that it almost seems like there's this deep work going on inside of us while we're while we're following along on these messages and that is true there is a deep work going on because it's a foundational work and there's sometimes where when you when you um when when you recognize a deep work going on it can almost seem heavy it can almost seem like the message is heavy or the word is heavy and there are times where that's true but what i've found is that most of the times where i'm thinking that something is heavy it's actually God's word shining a light on a weight that I'm not supposed to be carrying. I'm carrying it already. I'm navigating my life and my day and my relationships with it already. But the, the, the light of God's word shines on it and it becomes almost uh, um, um, visible to me in a way that I didn't understand before. And so I'm going to encourage you to um, make sure to push through and do the hard work of um, of getting our heart in the position of love. So as we continue to understand what Scripture tells us about love, the guilt of our sin will be unloaded at the cross. The weight of unforgiveness will be cut away from our conscience, and the burden of our hearts will become lighter. These are all very worthwhile reasons, and then some, to let all of all, let let the word of God do all of the work that needs to happen in our hearts as we pursue a life that is centered around love. So, <clears throat> when I was younger, I, um, I I was a I really love basketball. I still love basketball to this day. But when I was younger, um, I was not in the um, athletic conditioning, let's say, to keep up with all the basketball players around us. And so I was a short, scrawny, floppy-haired, nerdy kid, but I loved basketball. My favorite basketball player growing up was Magic Johnson, and he led uh, God's team, the LA Lakers, to five championships um, before he retired, and he actually went on to have a more successful business career um, in, in the city, in the area of Los Angeles, than he did as a, as a player for God's team, the Lakers. Um, but uh, we, when, when everybody who, who goes to L.A. and wants to do business, like in, from a, a really big scale, the word is that you want to connect with Magic Johnson. Everybody wants to go see Magic. Everybody wants to talk to Magic. But the, the, the funny thing is, is that Magic is not his name. That's his nickname. His name is Irvin. Irvin Johnson, and he got the nickname Magic because of the magician he was playing basketball and the way he would creatively pass the ball. It was like, man, I'm watching a magician out there. And so they nicknamed him Magic for his wizardry on the, on the basketball court. I desperately wanted to pass like this guy. I was throwing balls between my legs. You know, when he did it, it went right to the right guy. When I did it, it went like, you know, four rows in the stands. It was never really a good thing. But I always wanted to be like him. And one of the things that I, that I wanted was to have a cool nickname like him. 
You know what I mean? Like, he wasn't Irvin. He was magic. And all you had to say was magic, and you knew who he was talking about. Well, I, um, I, I grew up in Florida in the South, and it's really nasty humid. So I'd go outside and play basketball, and I'm obviously a guy who wears glasses and worn them the majority of my life. And when I'd go out and play basketball, my glasses would start to run down my nose because of all the sweat that was going on. Now, I know normally when you're in an athletic kind of environment, you're sweating, but when you live like in the deep South, where there's a lot of humidity, humidity, your sweat begins to sweat. It's like somebody pours water over your head all the time when you're outside and it just never stops. And so my parents got really tired of buying me new glasses and they would just slide off my face. It might have had something to do with them that the glasses were like twice the size of my head because, you know, like today they're all trendy, like those nerdy glasses. Yeah, I had them when they weren't cool. Like they were like, bam, like there was Matt. He came in with like leading in by the binoculars, right? And uh, so that might have had some of the reason why they fell off my face. And I can blame my parents, but they're not here to defend themselves or whatever. So um, I would just sweat and I would f- my glasses would fall off. And I'd always break them and I had to tape them up on the side, you know. And, and it would, it, my parents were just tired of that. So they took me to the eye doctor and they bought me a prescription pair of athletic glasses called Rexpex. And if you think that is the nerdiest name for a thing, you, my friend, are right. Because they were terrible. It looked like somebody cut out the elastic waistband of an industrial strength size pair of underwear and strapped them to like this face bumper. Like I had headgear and I didn't have braces. Like it was just wham. And, you know, everybody knew that I was coming because I was the only guy with these weird rec specs on. And so I was desperately trying to be cool and I was failing already. But these things just pushed me right over the edge. Like I wanted to be Magic Johnson. I look like Kurt Rambis. And if you don't know who that is, just Google him and you'll totally understand what I'm talking about. Well, here I was going to go play basketball and I wanted to have a cool nickname. And they gave me a nickname, all right. But it wasn't Magic and it wasn't a cool one. I got nicknamed Goggles. I was goggles because why? I showed up with the massive, like it might as well have been a scuba mask, right? It was big. And uh, it, was, it was just really, it was bad. And so here I was trying to have a cool nickname and I got a terrible one. And so I even looked in the Bible one day about, man, are there any guys in here with nicknames? And if they are, are they as bad as the one that I'm carrying around here? And uh, I looked and there was Peter and Jesus called him the rock of which I'll build my church. So he was the original rock. So take that, Dwayne Johnson. And if you don't know who that is, ask somebody who has Instagram. They'll show you. Um, and also the disciples, James and John, were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. And when I saw those guys, when I heard that name, I'm like, that's like a WWE wrestling champion, the Sons of Thunder. Like, that was cool. And so then I ran across a name. As I was looking for these nicknames, I ran across a name that I knew this particular Bible character as, and I called him this all the time, not realizing that his name that everybody taught on him and talked about him was actually his nickname. And that was a man named Barnabas. And if you've heard the story of Paul, you know, taking uh, Barnabas on some of his missionary journeys with him, um, Barnabas was not his real name. Acts chapter 4, verse 36, it says, for instance, there was Joseph the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And so anyone who has a nickname obviously did something to earn it. It's the next line there in your notes. Anyone who has a nickname obviously did something to earn it. 
Like when you were little and played with that kid at the end of the street and everybody called him stinky, it wasn't for no reason, right? Like he smelled bad repeatedly. He got that, he earned that nickname. But Joseph obviously did something repeatedly to be nicknamed Barnabas. And scripture tells us why they nicknamed him that. Joseph was an encourager. He was an encourager. That, that name, uh, encourager, in the original language is defined as this. Listen to what encourager means. Those who we call near or summon, especially in a time of help. Importation, the introduction of an idea from a different place or perspective. Someone who um, is, is practices exhortation, admonition, urge, uh, encouragement, solace, console. That which affords comfort or refreshment. You have one of those friends, whenever you're around them and they show up, it's just like they just, it's just great refreshing for you. That's an encourager. So imagine how consistently encouraging someone would have to be done to earn that as a nickname. This is the guy where they're like, man, we need help. Call Joseph. Man, we need an introduction of an idea from a different perspective. Call Joseph over here. We need encouragement. We need a relationship that's going to show up and be refreshing for us. Get Joseph over here. We need a, a conciliatory or powerful exhorting discourse or stirring address. Man, get Joseph over here. He does these things so much, we might as well just call him son of encouragement. He repeatedly did that over and over to earn that name. As I was reading the scripture, I kind of asked myself, if we were to get a nickname of our most consistent characteristic, what would our nickname be? As I sat there at the table as I was reading this scripture and thought, man, what would my nickname be from my most consistent characteristic? During the COVID-19 pandemic, my consistent nickname would probably be Chubby. So I have now earned Goggles and Chubby as my nicknames throughout life. I am failing miserable failing miserably at trying to get a cool nickname like magic. <laughs> but I'm hoping that by the end of the message today, that you will be so encouraged by God and his word, and you will become one who gives so much encouragement to other people that it will just ooze right out of you. And that we would be guilty of having the, the characteristic or the nickname of encouragers. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at three characteristics of love from 1 Corinthians 13. That's been our foundational scripture during this whole series. We're going to look at three characteristics that are listed there um, of love that point to encouragement, okay? So number one in your notes, love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. That word truth there um, aletheia, which I'm sure I pronounced that wrong, but the, the definition of that original word in the Bible is what is true in any matter under consideration in reality and in fact. What is true in things pertaining to God and the duties of man, the moral and religious truth. And the last definition is the truth taught in Christianity respecting God and the execution of His purposes through Christ. I want to draw our attention to something. 
the definition of this word truth is very specific. Very specific. Why does that matter? Because we live in a culture and a society that promotes a very anti-God, a, a very unbiblical, a pagan definition of truth. You'll hear this um, even, uh, unfortunately, you'll hear this kind of seep into people that go to church and call themselves believers, and you'll hear this statement. Well, I want to share with you my truth. Tell me your truth. We need to respect everyone's truth. And my friends, there is no such thing as my truth, your truth, their truth. There is the truth. This is very specific. We can have our opinion. We can have our perspective. We can have our ideas. We can talk about the reality of our life at the moment. But truth by definition is exclusive, meaning there is the truth and everything else. And it doesn't matter what my perspective is. I have to look at the truth and, and my understanding has to yield to the truth. Why? Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. All truth begins and ends in the knowledge and hand and brilliant creativity of God. This is example to us in heaven this concept of re, uh, rejoicing in the truth. There's actually another translation that says it, uh, love celebrates when the truth wins out. And we see this example to us in heaven. And so yesterday we hosted a great birthday party for my beautiful niece, Christiana. It's her first birthday and she is um, a miracle baby. Um, her, her, her parents and her family, along with me and Nina and several other people, prayed for many years, almost 10 years, for, um, for Chippy and Tina to have a baby. And they went through a struggle about a year and a half ago with a miscarriage and all, a lot of these questions that come along with that, like, God, what is going on? And what, you know, will this come to pass? And then on April 1st, 2019 at 2.06 a.m., according to Chippy. He remembers the, the, the time, the actual minute, when that little girl came into the world and changed everything, changed everything for them. Yesterday, we had a party here at the house, and we celebrated her birth. We celebrated her life. We did it big because why? Because we have waited so long and so happy and so much joy and celebration watching that little girl walk around these floors, put red frosting all over her face and try to, try to eat the cake that was her one-year birthday cake and watch her come around here and eventually just pass out from having so much fun and we let her, we let her nap before we woke up, her, woke her up again to do presents. In a similar way, you have been celebrated. You have been celebrated. If you're a believer in Christ... Heaven rejoiced. They threw a party that would put the one that we put on yesterday to shame the day you were born again. Let's look at Luke 15, 8 through 10. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coin and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? 
And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors, say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. The angels celebrated when you gave your life to Christ, when you repented of your sins, when you became born again. You just didn't become another number in a group. You just weren't, if you were in a group of people, maybe at an altar somewhere, and 25 of you got saved that night, it's not just they looked at you and said, oh, 25 more are coming. No, they celebrated you. And I don't know how you feel when someone celebrates you, but there is hope, there is love, there is encouragement that rises in me when someone celebrates me. But the reason I think that heaven celebrates so much is yes, because you've got eternity, because it's a refle- but because it's a reflection of God's character here. Love rejoices when the truth wins out. And when we submit our life to Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, my friends, the truth won out. And heaven celebrates in the nature, in the essence of God that is love. It is, he is the creator of it, the author of it. He is the essence of it. He possesses all of it. And that love rejoices when the truth wins out. And when you got saved, the truth won. You should be encouraged that not only Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, saw fit to die for you and save you from the penalty of your sin. But you should also be encouraged that the angels of heaven celebrated you when you came to Christ. This idea of rejoicing in the truth, we not only see it when we get saved, but we see it in a different context in the early church. So Jesus, at this point in time in history, has, has died. He has been buried. He has risen from the dead. He has appeared to, to, to many people. He has um, uh, ascended from the Mount of Transfiguration. He has poured out his Holy Spirit on the people waiting in the upper room. And now the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ and his salvation for us is spreading like wildfire across the area. And there are people who live in the, the areas of Syria, Antioch, and Cilicia that are becoming saved. They are giving their life to Christ. Heaven's rejoicing because these people are coming to know Jesus. They are becoming believers in Christ. And they're starting to get together. And right at the beginning stages of them starting to get together, these religious teachers from Jerusalem come down and say, hey, you're going to follow Jesus, right? Well, he's a Jew. And so if you're going to jump in here to this Uh, belief system with us, you're going to have to go back and do all of the laws of Moses. They now apply to you. The circumcision, all the things that are specific to the law of of Israel, you are now um, saying that you're going to abide by those. And these people who heard the message of Christ are confused. They're like, wait, I thought there was freedom. I thought this was was done. We're Gentiles. I I don't understand why we would have to go back and, and, and follow these laws. Well, here comes the, the, the disciples, the apostles. They get together and have a meeting, and they decide to solve this problem for them. Peter is the first to speak up. Paul and Barnabas that we, we talked about earlier, the son of encouragement, he speaks up. James, the brother of Jesus, speaks up and says, 
you know what? We need to communicate correctly to these people what is exactly required of them or these guys are going to crush them and they're not going to serve the Lord anymore. So they come to a conclusion and they send a letter down to these believers. And watch what happens. Acts chapter 15, verses 23 through 32. This is the letter they took with them. This letter is from the apostles and elders, your brothers in Jerusalem. It is written to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We understand that some men from here in Jerusalem have troubled you and upset you with their teaching, but we did not send them. So we decided, having come to complete agreement, to send you official representatives along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are sending Judas, not Judas Iscariot, he's gone, he's, he's dead. Um, this is a different Judas who's a, a disciple of Christ. We're sending Judas and Silas to confirm what we have decided concerning your question. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating the food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will fare well, or you will do well, fare well. The messengers went at once to Antioch, where they called a general meeting of the believers, and they read, um, and they delivered the letter. And there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. Then Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers and encouraging and strengthening their faith. Here what we find are people who are believers in Christ who are now saddled with this, this confusion. You have to follow all the laws of Moses, all the rules. You have to do all these things. You have to um, um, be circumcised. You have to do all of these heavy burden legalistic rule. You have to follow these rules. And they're confused. And when they get word that that is not what Jesus did, they get the truth from the disciples. They find out what is actually required of them. Their heart is, the weight on their heart is lifted. They drop it down. And now they are, they are um, compelled and encouraged to serve God more. It is important for us as believers in Christ to know Scripture ourselves. We have to know Scripture ourselves. We need to learn from our pastors and biblical teachers, but we do not need to use our weekly gathering as the only time we read, meditate on, or discuss Scripture. Why? This is a great reason why. You are going to encounter people in your life that have an incorrect view of the gospel. They're going to have an incorrect view of what's required of them. Oh, I have to follow all these rules. I have to do all these things. I can't do these things. And they're burdened down with this, this rule-oriented approach to following Jesus. And if you know the gospel, the, the truth of the scripture, you know the truth of the gospel message, you can come to them and give them the truth. And all of these, the incorrect, per, uh, these incorrect perceptions fall away. All of these incorrect ideas fall apart. All of these, these incorrect beliefs start to fizzle away in the light of the gospel. And when you present the truth, 
And since the, the truth sets people free, you present the truth of the gospel, guess what happens to them? Their heart is encouraged, they are free, and they are now um, um, more encouraged, more fueled to follow Jesus. When we know the freedoms, next line in your notes, when we know the freedom we have in Christ and use it to bring the truth to people, they are encouraged. Notice that the disciples didn't walk in and drop a truth bomb and walk out. Notice that they didn't come in and be like, well, sorry if this hurt your feelings, but then drop the truth and then leave and try to, try to let themselves be good. No, that's not what they did. They didn't try to elevate their own position when they're, when they're um, delivering the message. No, they, in love, brought the truth, not for the sake of them being the hero or them being the one to look good. No, they honestly wanted people's hearts to be free. And what happens is, is when... when when you, when you give your life to Christ, when you become saved, when you are born again, heaven celebrates you. And then when we take the truth to other people and it sets them free, we rejoice with them and both of us are encouraged. Because I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to encourage someone else, but when you do, you walk away encouraged too. Love rejoices. In the truth. Number two, <clears throat> love believes all things. Love believes all things. This word believe is the original word pastuo, and it and it and here's the definitions. It's to think to be true, place confidence in the thing or the one being believed, and to entrust with something. To entrust with something. If we were to make a list of the people that we honestly love and we, we entrust with our, our heart or with secrets or with um, uh, things that we don't want to share a lot publicly or we place confidence in those people that we love, if you were to make a list of all those people, my guess is that as believers in Christ, Jesus would be at the top of that list. Why? We have entrusted our lives an eternal future. Jesus. We trust in Jesus, his sacrifice, his word, and his love because he is good. He has never lied and he is all powerful. Think about that for a second. When we say love believes all things, our belief, our thinking to be true, our entrusting with something, placing our confidence in the one who is believed. When we believe in Jesus, all of our confidence is in him. And when we do that, we entrust him with everything. It is a way that our love is shown to him. But what we may not realize is not only have we entrusted him with our, our life, our being, our eternity, everything, we may not realize or may have forgotten that he has entrusted us with something. He has entrusted us with something. <clears throat> what is that? 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. 
And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And when He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The design of Christ for His church is for us to be the light of Jesus to a dark world. Now, if I'm honest, when I see and read this scripture, and I think about uh, we as believers in Christ are God's plan, I sometimes sit back and wonder, um, why did he choose this plan? <laughs> I know a lot of people who, who bring reproach on the name of the gospel. I know people who use it as a way to make money for themselves or, or to manipulate people or, to, um, or to, to fashion it in some way that will be self-serving. And I look at this sometimes and I'd be like, man, this is the idea? Like, we're the plan. Um, okay. And at the moment when I'm starting to question, like, God, is there something else we can do? Because we don't seem to be doing this very well at all. I'm reminded that his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And it doesn't matter if I look at this and go, isn't there a better idea when he has spoken it? It is the truth. And I have to realize that this is what he has put into place. It is the absolute best approach for winning the world. That pushes me back to understand that we have been entrusted with the responsibility to be Christ's ambassadors. Next line of your notes. Making an appeal to the lost people of the world to come back to God. Think about that for a second. It's, and I don't know if you're like me, but when I think about that, I go, this is a massive responsibility. The creator of the universe placed confidence and trust in us as his people who are led by his spirit to spread the message of the gospel throughout the world. And you're probably not like me. Maybe I'm the only one who struggles with this. But when I line my own life up against the scripture, I have to go, do I really share the gospel in every opportunity that is presented to me? Do I ever cower away and go, this is kind of awkward. I don't want to just shoot Jesus in here right now and kind of back away. Is there, is there a moment that's almost laid and gifted on a platter for me to introduce somebody to Jesus and then because of my fear of, of, of you know, whatever, where I work or, or if it'll be accepted or rejected, is there anything in me that would go, I'm just going to crouch back a little bit? And if I'm 100% transparent and honest with you, I have to say, yes, there have definitely been moments like that in my life. I haven't missed them all, but I've definitely missed them. I would say I've missed probably quite a few. 
And when I read that scripture, I go, the weight of responsibility seems to kind of drape on my mind and my heart. I've got to do this. I've got to be better at this. And then all of a sudden I find myself operating in that rules, that burdensome thing that I have tried my best in my life to, sh- to shed and get off of, my, off of my heart, off of my mind, off of my spirit. And when I look back at the loving nature of God and realize I got saved, I gave my life to Him, and at that moment He goes, Pool, you're on my team. And then every one of, the, of us as believers have been empowered with His Holy Spirit to go and do the job He has set out before us to accomplish, to accomplish His Word. And when I look at it from that new perspective, when that encouraging um, uh, importation of an idea comes to me and it makes me look at it this way and not this way, the pressure seems to dissolve and there is something that rises up in me that went, God wants me to do this. He has empowered us to do this. And there is a confidence and an encouragement that rises in me that I can't explain because it doesn't come from me. I'm not saying that we should trust everyone with your deepest secrets. I'm not saying you should run out there and tell all the things you don't ever want to tell anybody to everybody because I'm trying to love them. No, that's foolish. But what we are encouraged in God's word to do as people who love him and are showing love to the world, we are encouraged to live hot. It's an acronym. If you're here in Phoenix, it was 118 last week and you went, bro, I got the living hot thing down. I can do it all the time. Like we have to, right? It's hot all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. We're encouraged to live hot, honest, open, and transparent. Honest, open, and transparent. Honest about what? About what you believe? Honest about where you stand? Honest about your position on whatever it is that's being discussed at the moment? Honest and true to who you really are in Christ? Open. I'm open to telling whoever will listen exactly what my failures are and exactly how God cleansed my sin, covered them with His blood, and brought me, someone who was wildly undeserving, into right standing with God. And transparent. I'm not going to put up a front. I'm not going to pretend like everything's going good and we're blessed, brother, when my life is falling apart. I'm not just going to go out there and throw it in front of everyone, but I am going to be transparent and authentic. See, when we truly love someone, we believe what they say and we have a belief in them. We believe what they say and have a belief in them. Ravi Zacharias, was, who was the, uh, probably the greatest Christian apologist of our last generation, passed away earlier this year. And before he passed away, he told a story of a wedding that he was officiating for some friends of his um, that were involved in the ministry. And here he is, the, the groom's on one side, the bride's on the other. And he looks at them on their wedding day and says, you are giving each other the highest compliment today. 
you were taking each other at their word. And I thought for a second when he said that, I thought, man, it's the highest compliment to take somebody at their word. And I went back to my own wedding day 21 years ago and I stood across from Nina on the stage and I committed to her and I promised her that my heart, my mind, my body, my soul, my affection will be only for you. I'm committing to you. I love you. And she said those words back to me. And in that moment, you, we are saying to each other, I believe the words that just came out of your mouth. I believe what you just said. And I am believed. I don't know about you, but if somebody truly believes in me, has confidence in and, and trust me with something, I do feel a little responsibility, but there is a greater sense of love, of hope, and encouragement that is dwelling in me because love believes all things. Number three, love hopes all things. <clears throat> this word, elpizio, is um, the word that is used in Scripture for this word, hope. Now, now, before I give you the definition, I, when I read this statement to myself, love hopes all things, I thought, that's like bad grammar. <laughs> that's like something how I would put something in an incorrect grammatical form. Love hopes all things. What does that even mean? And when I went to the definition, it cleared it up. And it is one of the reasons that I put these definitions in front of you, in, in your notes, in black and white, on your screen, so that we will have a deeper understanding when we are confused by something. This word hope means to hopefully trust in or wait for salvation with joy and full confidence. When I read the definition, it all made sense to me. We have hope, joy, and full confidence that our Lord has the final word in every single life scenario. Our Lord has the final word in every single life scenario. There is hope of salvation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We are believers in Christ. There is hope for us. We are trusting in and waiting for that day of salvation with great joy and full confidence. Here's what that means. I believe there's people out there who need to hear these next few lines. And so I'm going to say them slow. In suffering... He has the final word. In struggle, He has the final word. In joyous times, He has the final word. In victory, He has the final word. In defeat, He has the final word. Even in death, God has the final word. It doesn't matter what scenario you are in in this life. It doesn't matter where you're at or what you're struggling in. My encouraging word for you today is this. God has the final word. Things are spiraling out of control, Matt. God has the final word. 
word. This world that we're in is crazy, and it's going crazy on me right now. God has the final word. Matt, I know somebody who has been sick from this virus. I know someone who's passed away from during the middle of this pandemic. I'm telling you, if they are a believer in Jesus Christ, he has the final word. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We will tell, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. If you are on the brink of death, if you know someone who has died, if you have lost someone who is a believer, I'm not telling you not to grieve. I'm not telling you how to feel. I'm not telling you that your heartbreak is not important or real. Grieve. Go through the process. But we don't grieve like people who have no hope. There is an end that we win. Even in death, we win. Even in losing our temporary life here on this earth, we win because we are with Him. He continues, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9-11, through 11, For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Encouraging. Not to pour out his anger on us. Double encouraging. Christ died for us. That's triple encouraging. So that whether we're dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. Quadruple encouraging. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. My friends, there is nothing that you are facing. There is nothing you're in the middle of. There is nothing you are experiencing that God does not have the final say in even if it costs you your life. If, there, if you are someone who is looking at the environment around us, you are looking at all the stuff that's coming across on the news, <coughs> excuse me, on social media, that you're bombarded with every day, and you're watching some of the craziest times that I have seen in, in my lifetime, and they're unprecedented in the last, at least the last generation, at least the last 50 years. You are looking around going, man, how does this end? And you are sinking lower and lower and lower. My friends, you are paying attention to what the world would say instead of what God's word would say. You are looking at what is temporary and not what is eternal. And I am here today to encourage you. Why? Because I've got magic words? Nope, because I've got the word of God. And so if you are struggling, let me encourage you real quick. Psalm 31, 23, love the Lord your God, all, uh, all you his saints. The Lord 
preserves the faithful. Psalm 34, 17. The Lord hears His people when they call upon Him. He rescues them from their troubles. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Psalm 138, 3. On the day I called to God, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. Luke 18, 27. He, Jesus, replies, when what is impossible for people is possible with God. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised us is faithful. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I am here to tell you to stop listening to everything else. Open up your Bible and saturate your mind, your heart, your spirit with God's word because it becomes the encouragement that we need for ourselves, and it becomes the words of encouragement that we dish out to the world around us. That encouragement is here for you today. And I honestly believe that God sent me with this assignment today to encourage you who are discouraged. And if you are encouraged, you're like, what do I say? Speak His Word. You speak for God when you tell people, come back home. Come back to the Lord. You are speaking for Him. You are Christ's ambassador. The confidence and the gospel has been entrusted in you So go out there and deliver it. Let there be nothing that scares you because God's word is true and he has the final say. Matt, you're getting kind of worked up. Yeah. Yep. I I typically preach or teach and don't preach in these these sessions. But I'm telling you, there is someone, and it it could be me. The, The last one in Hebrews 10 really got me really got to me on the promise, reminding me of my own self of something that God promised long ago. But God Almighty is love and His Spirit encourages us. The life of the believer represents God's love to others, especially to those who are in the faith. So, therefore, let us encourage other believers with the truth of God's Word, His power, and be a refreshing comfort in times of struggle. Let us encourage the lost to see a godly perspective and submit their life to the Lord. And finally, let us be focused on encouraging others and celebrating the truth of God's miraculous and boundless love. Why? Because love encourages. It encourages. If you are down, I pray that right now, that you will be encouraged by the word of God you just heard. Not by preaching or somebody who's excited about it, because I am. But by the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you are encouraged, I pray that you will have the boldness, the guts, the power of the Holy Spirit, that you will recognize it in your life to dispense this encouragement to the world. It is the way that we love God and love people. Let us be a church. Let us be people. Let us be believers who have this as such a wildly evident characteristic that people look at us and go, sons and daughters of encouragement right there.